0: So today's class is is dedicated by someone, um, actually my wife's cousin, someone who we love dearly, and I think he's really, really just a great guy and a great person. Avizat Hashem, soon Hashem will send him his his well-deserved zivuk, and he's a very wonderful person, and very generous Joseph Azer, in memory of his grandfather Yosef Ben Hanina. So today's class is dedicated. Amen. Okay, welcome. I think today is an important topic. It might take a few minutes for us to develop the point. I hope you're going to bear with me. My question I have to start is, what do you do When you find something in your life that's very important, as being very difficult. What do you do when you realize your life needs you to be patient, and you're not naturally patient? Your life needs you to be energetic, and you're not that type. Something that you're involved in requires you to be a leader and leadership skills are not your thing. When all of a sudden you're at a stage in your life where you need to wake up early in the morning and you're not a morning person. Or when it now requires a lot of work to change your attitude and your attitude you know needs to change. Change. But it's very difficult to change it. I want to try today to provide, as always, perspective and thoughts on this challenge. And I'd love if you could think of something in your own life that you need to have a characteristic, a mentality, a mindset that you need to have right now that's not very easy for you. I know for me, one of those things was is that I am naturally a pretty soft, nice person. And there was a point where I realized that I have to be tougher. I'm just, I need to be tougher. If I want to do what I need, I need to be tougher. And so for you, or for me, we have this class. We're in the month of Adar. We're about to celebrate the holiday of Purim in a week from today. But tomorrow is also a big day. You know what tomorrow is? Tomorrow is the day... The seventh of Adar, the day that Moshe Abenu passed away, and the day he was born. So rabbis tell us that when Haman threw his lottery to decide whether to destroy the what month to destroy the Jewish people, the lottery landed in Adar. And he was happy about that. He says, Perfect, because I know this month is a bad month for the Jewish people. How do you know? Because the month of Adar he had known was the month that Moshe Abenu passed away in. So he said, if that's the month Moshe Rabbeinu passed away, then I know that this is not a good month. And so this is going to be the month I'm going to be able to annihilate them, God forbid. What our rabbis say, our rabbis have a response for Haman. Haman, you thought that this is the month that Moshe Rabbeinu died. He didn't realize that it's the month that Moshe Rabbeinu died, and it's also the month that Moshe Rabbeinu was born. And so this month is a good month. I have two questions for you. First of all, who cares that Moshe Rabbeinu was born this month? Why is this supposed to matter? Why is this supposed to be meaningful? Why is this, oh, he thought he was going to be able to annihilate them, but no, now that Moshe Rabbeinu was born that month, he's not going to be able to. It sounds funny. What does it mean? And, his, and the Gemara's statement is out of order. Because the Gemara's statement is, he didn't realize that Moshe Rabbeinu died this month and was born this month. He should have said, he didn't realize Moshe Rabbeinu was born this month. First he was born, then he died. So why do you put the death before the birth? So I want to give you the little video that somebody sent me that motivated me to give this class. A little while ago, someone sent me a video about What's going on in China today? And in China, they're becoming very advanced technologically, where they have stores that you're allowed, you could shop in the store all based on your phone. I don't know exactly how it works. There's things you tap, there's like almost phones or iPads on the walls, and you shop based on your phone. And then they showed a restaurant that doesn't have waiters. No waiters. This restaurant instead has Little robots. Little, like, uh, they, the little robot this big. They, the chef makes your food. He puts it in this little bot. This robot, like, the cover closes, and then it has an aisle or like a track, and it rides to your table, comes to your table, and opens up, and there's your stick. Like it? You don't have to tip him. You don't have to tip him. It sounds good. I'm looking at this video, and I'm saying to myself, how would I feel watching this if I was a lifelong waiter? If I had a 20 year career as a waiter, how would I feel watching this video? Okay, it's in China, but this is, I'd be privileged. This is what I do. I'm good at it. I know how to talk to the people. I know how to make the right jokes that cause the tip to double. I know my whole action. And now you're telling me there's a little robot that just wheels up to the person's plate, opens up, they take their food, put it on their plate, they don't need me? Scary! That's what motivated me to get this class. I want to talk about the uniqueness of Moshe Rabbeinu. I think most of us recognize Moshe Rabbeinu was the greatest person to ever live and the greatest leader to ever live. What I think many of us don't appreciate is that he really was... Basically, the first major leader to live. That means that when we look at Abraham Avinu, we look at Abraham Avinu, part of his greatness is that nobody did it before him. Part of what's great about Abraham Avinu is that he went through those tests and he showed faith in God and ability to do chesed without having like a script. He didn't read books. He didn't have Abraham Avinu to learn from. He was Abraham Avinu. And that's the greatness of Yitzchak and the greatness of Yaakov and his study of Torah. He was the first person to really do that. And Yosef was the first person who was thrown in a foreign country and had to overcome temptation. So part of their greatness is the fact that they were the first at this. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have leadership books to read before he got started. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have a Torah to read before he got started. He didn't have Moshe Rabbeinu to learn from. And he was the first person to re- be able to do something that's so unique, which is bring down Hashem's values to this world and understand what that generation needed at that time without a script. That means he looks at a people, they all of sudden worshipped an Egel. What do I do? I don't have any books to read on this. I don't have any role models. I have to decide on the spot what works for those people. I'm in the desert, they're complaining about food. What do I do? I'm in the desert, they want to go back to Egypt. How do I react? Moshe Rabbeinu had to come up with the understanding of how to maintain God's values while still understanding how to lead these people with the challenges that they were dealing with right now. Moshe Rabbeinu's great skills was the ability to maintain the values and understand the moment. And understand and be creative in knowing what's needed for that moment. Our rabbis tell us, in the Zohar, it says, that the spirit of Moshe Rabbeinu is spread to every generation. He spread in every generation. We have people who have an element of Moshe Rabbeinu in them and I need to explain, and here's where I'm going to need a minute until we make our point you know there's a great debate that people have about whether the theories of evolution fit with the Torah or not Right? we all know the Torah is a myth, the Torah is true the only question that a religious Jew can have is does evolution fit with it or not, good so I've heard this question often, some of it part of it, all of it, anyhow where did, where did this whole theory begin? Who was the guy who invented this theory? I'm Where to get here. In the 18-something, 1830s or something like that, there was a man named Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin went to a place called the Galapagos Islands, and on those islands, these are 13 islands in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, on those islands, he saw certain things that showed him the ideas behind this theory. So a few months ago, I took a plane and went to the Galapagos Islands. Yes, I really went. (laughs) What? (laughs) You would have come? You weren't invited (laughs) (laughs) but. So I said, you know what? I need to see. I'm curious, like, what's proven and what's not proven. I said, when everyone else goes to Florida, I'm not in the mood for Florida. I like going where nobody's at. And I'd like to learn something. So my wife and I, we went for a few days to Galapagos Islands. Okay? It's in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Okay? It's like on the equator. It's owned by Ecuador. So you have to go to Ecuador, and then from Ecuador you go to Galapagos. Okay, good. It's on the equator. How do you think the weather is? Cold. Oh, what do you think the weather is? So now, let me give you the background. Let me give you, let me give you what we saw. So it's thirteen islands. Some are very small, some are bigger. And what's unique about these islands is that they're all volcanoes. They all started off as volcanoes. And some of them are active volcanoes, like the last time they erupted was maybe like a year ago. And some of them the last time they erupted is a hundred years ago. And then some of the last time they erupted is five hundred years ago like that. But what makes it unique if they're all volcanoes, nothing could have started on a volcano, because you can't live no animal, grass, nothing can live on a volcano. There's hot lava, so anything that's here must have come from someplace else. You follow me? Because it couldn't have started here. This is a volcano. You can't start here. So it must be came from somewhere else. And the truth is, everything that's on those islands is something that's able to either swim or fly. So there's birds, there's iguanas, there's turtles. All these things are creatures that swam from someplace else and came here. Or they flew in for somebody else and they came in even the vegetation was on the feet of the birds little seeds went on the feet of the birds they transported to the island and then those seeds grew in that island you're following me so far Okay, and you see, you go from island to island, and you see like there are different stages. One has nothing on it, the other one has a little vegetation, the other one has vegetation and little insects, but nothing else, and another one has turtles, and, uh, tortoises and iguanas. I have pictures with like me and 150 year old turtles. Tortoises lived to 150 years. 150 years. There's some of them around from the 1800s. So anyhow, so I have my pictures with them, very cute. And each island's got a different amount. Good. So what's his point? Darwin's point is, is that if they came from someplace else, and they must have come from someplace else, because they couldn't have started here, and they look different than a similar species somewhere else, they must have adapted to this environment. So I'm talking to the experts over there, and I say, okay, I hear you, you're telling me it came from someplace else, and it adapted. I said, "Ah, okay, whatever your reason is, mutation, uh, genetic, good, I could accept that, I could stomach that. I said, but maybe Hashem created the world, and he created all the species, and then the different species went to different places, and adapted to those places. So maybe Hashem originally created one turtle, or a male turtle and a female turtle, and then they went to different areas and became different turtles, just like human beings. Hashem created only one, Adam and Eve. And then from there, people went to China, looked one way, went to Japan, looked another way, Australia, another way, Africa, another way, America, another way. So why can't that be? I said, I understand that these species obviously adapted to this area. But who says that they all came from one amoeba? See, he tells me, you're right. We don't really have any proof that it all came from one amoeba. The only thing we know is that all the species have similar characteristics. So we believe they all came from one source. Satan, so them, okay, I agree. They all have similar characteristics. They all came from one source, God. How about that? Hashem, He said, the truth is, I have no proof against that. So I said, good, so this is what I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe that Hashem created the world. Hashem created the world, and I'm not talking about the age of the world and all that stuff. But Hashem created the world. And He created all these different species and then he sent them to different areas, and they adapted to those areas. So now I'm going back home to my my room that night, and I'm thinking to myself, so why does Hashem make every species all similar to one another? And here's my point. I said, you know why? I think it's because Hashem wants us to learn from them. Hashem wants us to learn this unbelievably powerful lesson, that just like a turtle can go to a foreign area that's not used to and learn how to extend its head in order to be able to survive, you, Mr. Human Being, you can do the same. You also have within you the ability to go somewhere where you never were before and to adapt and learn how to live and survive and thrive in that place. I started off this class with the question, what do you do when you have a certain skill that you're not good at? You need to be patient. You need to be calm. You need to wake up early. You need to be energetic. You need to change your attitude. You need to be tougher. And it's not good for you. Uh, you don't know how to do this well. It's not, it's not you. Here's what I'm here to tell you. Make it you. Adapt. And more than anything else, more than any trait you have, the most powerful trait that we were given is the ability to adapt. Your ability to adapt is way stronger than your laziness. Your ability to adapt is way stronger than your anger. Your ability to adapt is way stronger than your need and mood to eat. You are able to adapt. If an iguana could go somewhere it never was before and figure out how to eat new vegetation that it never ate before and learn how to survive, so can you. And you have people walking around all over the place, I can't. What does that mean? Of course you can. Of course you can. Hashem put inside of every creature, including us, the ability to adapt to new circumstances. And our job is to learn what we need to adapt to and adapt to it. Our job is to recognize, hey, now I'm married and I'm usually selfish, but now I can't be selfish, so I am going to change, and I can. Hey, one second, I'm put in a leadership position. I have to be a leader. Some of the leadership skills don't come natural. Well, make them happen. Teach yourself how to do it. Every one of us was given a little bit of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu's ability was to figure out how to lead a nation while still holding on to the values that Borel wanted him to do. To lead a nation in crazy circumstances, Millions of people in the middle of a desert. He figured it out. <coughs> Moshe Rabbeinu the Zohar is telling us in every generation, we have that ability. Now all of a sudden, what happened? Oh, now you need to be, you need to change your attitude. Work on it, learn it, read about it, watch people that do it. Fight with yourself. Work on yourself and change and adapt. We were all given this ability. We all have the ability to be able to change. I told you before I used to be soft. Well, I got tougher. I did. I got tougher. I worked on it, worked on it, and got a little tougher. I don't want to be too tough. I like being a little soft. But you, when you need to change, you need to change. And I don't want to hear, oh, I can't deal with this. I can't do this. Yes, you can. If Hashem can make a bird grow a little longer beak in order to be able to feed in his new environment, then Hashem gave you the ability to all of a sudden calm down. You can. I'll give you another example. I used to be pretty cheap. I used to be pretty cheap. Like, if my kids want a dollar, I'd ask them 12 questions before and then I'd ask them for change. That kind of cheating. And I have people around me saying, Joe, you know, you're a father, you have children, like, you can't, you can't keep being this way. And like, you're, you're almost hurting yourself. So I remember one time I had a brother, one of my youngest brothers, gave me a whole talk. He said, Joe, you're going to Israel with your two daughters for the first time. Please don't kill the trip by being chief. <laughs> so I said, okay, you're right. So I decided on that trip, I'm just going to let it go, you know, like they go to a place and they want ice cream and then they want another one, I'll get them both, that kind of thing. They want the ices and the ice cream and the necklace, get them all. <laughs> so it cost a little more than before, but I all of a sudden saw it was a whole different experience. Instead of me like fighting with everybody and being and nervous and then being nervous, it had a different flow and it was a different experience and I changed. I'm not saying I became like anything, but I changed. You can change and you can adapt. And the thought process that you can't is just an excuse that your brain made up in order to make your life easier. It's not you can and you need to. There is no way you can live a full life from birth to death, whatever that is, 120 years, inshallah. There's no way you can do it without using the skill and the ability to adapt. There's no way. You find yourself in different situations all the time. You find the world changing on you all the time. You need to know how to do this. You know what I would tell a waiter who was looking at that video about those robots? I'll tell him, okay, don't get scared, get ready. Learn a new skill. Oh, I'm not good with computers. Get good at it. Oh, I don't know how to be patient with kids. Well, now you have children. Figure it out! This is our responsibility. God put it inside of us. This characteristic. The ability to adapt. It's more powerful than any other characteristic we have. The ability to change when we need to. It says about Moshe Rabbeinu when he passed away. Nobody knows, says the Pasuk at the end of Devarim. Nobody knows where he's buried. And then the pasuk says, after he died, the pasuk says, um Moshe, shana. Moshe was 120 years old ben morto, when he passed away. Velo kata he didn't lose a step. He didn't lose any of his eyesight. He didn't lose any of his energy. None of it. What is the Torah telling me? Why is it telling me this after he died? The answer to the Torah telling me is that you think Moshe Rabbeinu passed away. No, he never did. He's physically passed away. But this that Moshe Rabbeinu taught us, the spirit, the energy that Moshe Rabbeinu gave us, the soul that Moshe Rabbeinu brought, the ability to know what to do in different circumstances at different times, and be able to make those decisions and those changes, we have forever. And in every generation, that spirit of Moshe Rabbeinu still lives on. He's not We don't know where he's buried, because as far as we're concerned, his Mentality was never buried. His mentality is still here. And it's still vibrant and it's still thriving. Our rabbis say it this way. The Pasuk tells us about Moshe, the Haish Moshe, the man Moshe. In the Megillah it says, Ish Yehudi, the Jewish man. They say Ish Yehudi and Haish Moshe both talk about him as the man. It's telling us that Mordechai had in him a little bit of the neshama Moshe Rabenu. Because Mordechai needed the same skill. Here's Mordechai. He never saw anything like this before. When was the last time in Jewish history that a regular, innocent Jewish girl was not taken to be queen, and needs to live in the king's palace? And uh, there's a decree against every Jew at once, and the Jewish people are being called to parties that they don't belong yet. There's no script for this. There's no books on how to handle this. Mordechai had to pull on his inner Moshe Rabbeinu. And that inner ability to know what needs to be done now, and he needed to do it. The Ish Yehudi was similar to that Ish Moshe. He's similar to that same ability and same spirit. You need to learn how to adjust. And you need to learn what this time in your life needs, and figure it out. I'll give you another personal example. So this past Shabbat, my wife, I came up with this crazy idea to invite a whole group of 11th grade boys, like 50 of them, to my house. Now that would be semi majnun but the added to it is that we have, my living room and dining room recently is being fixed. So we pulled off the cardboard from the floor, the new, brand new floor, the brand new walls, at 2.30 Friday afternoon. Okay? And that night, we're having 50 boys. You follow me? Your son was there. Good. Okay, you got it? There's a few people whose sons were there. 50 boys. I think 48 to be exact. So now we're bringing in the tables. We rented tables and chairs, so we're bringing in the tables to the dining room. Now it's like 3 o'clock. And I'm naturally getting a little nervous. No, isn't that fair to get a little nervous? Like, whatever. My wife tells me, listen, Joey, I don't need you to be nervous. You could go upstairs, take a nap, or prepare your classes for Shabbat. I got this. Good. Okay. I come down at 4.30, 30, 4 15, 4 30. Now look at the tablecloths. She had borrowed them, whatever. They were horrible. So I said, Honey, I'm not having boys over with these tablecloths. She says, Come on, they're sixteen year old boys, they don't care. I said, Honey, I'm not having them with these tablecloths. I said, Honey, you gotta do something. She says, I'll tell you, no problem. You just have to remain calm. You just have to smile and we'll figure this out. I said, Okay. We'll smile for yourself. She goes, calls one or two places. Um, she calls uh, Bonnie Satton. You know her, right? Okay, good. She goes to her house, she rents a bunch of tablecloths, comes back at five o'clock. Can you line my was 5:37, comes back at five o'clock, sets the whole table. I'm like, No, no, honey, the lines have to be symmetrical. She's like, Joey, you gotta be kidding me. I said, No, this I oh, am. Yeah. Okay? Lined up with the flowers and the whole thing. It was spectacular. But here it was great. Is that I so don't have the ability to be calm in that circumstance. It's so not me. It's always was my wife, but it's not me. It's not me. There's, they're coming in the house like now. There's 50 boys. The, the floor just happened. The lights were just... Put in their sockets. Like literally, you know how their hats hang out? They pushed them up 1.30 in the afternoon. I'm like, I, I, the workers were there. And they're looking at my wife like, get nervous a little bit. Like, why are you so calm? So why didn't you wait till next week? Yeah. Because the clock is changing. I wanted a long Friday night. And next week we have Puneem coming up. I didn't want to be too close to Puneem. You got all the answers? Good. <laughs> so anyhow. <It's> <laughs> but I was so excited that I had learned the skill, took years, that I never had before. I'm really not that kind of person. I'm not the kind of person who could just watch my wife get in a car with my daughter and go buy rent tablecloths at 4.45. It was insane. But I was calm. Because my wife told me how to be calm. She's like unique. That's, yeah, God bless her, that's right. But that's what we need, that you need to have this. If you don't have this ability, you can't survive. See, Haman was excited about the month of Adar Because he thought, Moshe Abenu is dead and over. He thought, that when Moshe Abenu died, I'm now going to give the Jewish people a new challenge that they never dealt with before. And I'm going to be able... I'm going to be able to destroy them. What he didn't realize is that Moshe Rabbeinu died in this month. But Moshe Rabbeinu was also born in this month. That means that the spirit, the neshama of Moshe Rabbeinu, was continuing after his death. So you don't realize this, Moshe Rabbeinu, but you're dealing with a nation that knows how to adapt. You're dealing with a nation that will figure this out. You think you're bringing them a new challenge? You think they're not going to know what to do? Oh yes, they will. Because Moshe Rabbeinu is still very much alive. If you watch this world, each generation, each decade has its own challenge. In the 30s, we were dealing with the Depression. In the 40s, we were dealing with World War II. In the 50s, this country was coming out of segregation. In the 60s, this country was mesnum. Just crazy drugs and craziness. In the 70s, we were dealing with Vietnam War. In the 80s, we were dealing with the Cold War. In the 90s, we were dealing with the dot-com explosion and burst. In the 2000s, the whole world was afraid of global terrorism. In 2010s, in this decade, we're dealing with technology and social media, which is completely changing everything. So you can't say, you know what, I was good at fighting in World War II, but I, that's all I know. No. You have to figure out what to do in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. That's how it works. You need to learn the skills of each generation. Last week we gave a class. And it's talking about how life is a puzzle. And how you see how different things fit. Sometimes you find that the next puzzle piece in your life is... Hashem now set you up to change. That's the next piece. The next piece is, all of a sudden, how' did I end up here? I ended up here because Hashem wants me to now be a new person. And you have said that everything's a puzzle and everything fits. This isn't fitting. Oh yes, it is. It means now you have to learn something new that you didn't know before. That's sometimes where the puzzle's going. You need to learn a skill. You need to work on something. You need to learn it. You need to change it. That's where Hashem is heading you sometimes. (laughs) And the truth is this really is the hallmark of our nation. Because for many years, we were one nation in one place. And then if you look at the Jewish people over the last thousand years, we're all over the place. There's Jews in Poland, Jews in Russia, Jews in Egypt, Jews in Syria, Jews in Morocco, Jews in Yemen, Jews in Germany, Jews in Spain, Jews in France, Jews in Australia, Jews in America, Jews in Israel. There's Jews all over the place. And in each place, each environment, the Jews of that environment figured out how to maintain their values as strong as ever, yet adapt to the nuances of the environment they're in. And learn how to be a Syrian Jew. Or learn how to be a Polish Jew. Learn how to be a Russian Jew or a Moroccan Jew. All of them are different. But just like Hashem gave the iguana the ability to grow what it needs to grow, Hashem gave us the ability to adapt to where we are. And Hashem gave our leaders the ability to understand how to lead us in wherever we are. I'll give you one example. You know, in Israel, the yeshivot in Israel, most yeshivot in Israel, learn their gemara pretty quickly. In America, many of the high-level yeshivot learn very slowly and very much in depth. That means in Israel they might learn a page of gemara in a week, in America, they might learn a page of Gemara in two months. Because of the depth. So there's a great rabbi in Israel, you heard of, he passed away about 19 years ago. His name was Rav Shach. You heard of Rav Shach? Mm-hmm. So Rav Shach once said, I don't agree. He was one of the Gedolah Hador. I don't agree with how they're learning in America. There was a great rabbi in America, who maybe is not considered as great as Rav Shach. His name is Rav El Yisfei, And he said, Rav Shach is great but he understands Israel. He doesn't understand the boys I'm dealing with in America. They need the depth because that's how they're going to enjoy it and their enjoyment is what they're going to keep him in it. Which means, he knows his environment, I'm a leader for this environment. And there's a difference. And I need to know how to lead right here. I'll give you even another, like I said, a personal example. Being a rabbi today and being a rabbi 40 years ago is completely different. It's completely, the skill set that you need is completely different. 50 years ago, rabbis didn't have to reach out. They sat in shul, they gave a little class, they said a Torah, they answered Halachot, and they met with couples that are dealing with challenges in their marriage. It's totally different today. Today, most rabbis that are really implicit in the community are working in schools. They're reaching out to boys. They're reaching out to older men. They're reaching out. They're giving classes. They have to know how to speak. They have to know how to connect. They have to know how to be an orator. It's a whole new skill set. And you can't say, again, look at it. My father's rabbi. I'm a rabbi. We have to have different skills. Because what he needed in the 80s is not what I need today. It's different. And if I go by the old playbook, it won't work. The values never change. But adapting to the society that we're in, that does. The story of Purim is a story of a nation that knew how to deal with their new challenge. It says then that the Jewish people rabbi say it means they reaccepted the Torah. What does that mean? They reaccepted the Torah. That means that that they realized and accepted the Torah the Oral Torah. The oral Torah is the Torah given to us by the rabbis. The oral Torah is the fact that we trust that the leaders of each generation know what's needed for now. And the Jewish people got that confidence when they watched Mordechai, a in action. They watched Mordechai do what's necessary for this generation right now. So you have a challenge. You have something you're not good at. I'm here to tell you that your excuse that you say, this isn't me, isn't going to fly. Because not only is each generation different, but each stage in your life is different. I notice this one, that the skills that it takes to be a parent is completely different skills that it takes to be a father-in-law. It's very different. Because when you're a parent, your main skill is giving your opinion. When you're a father-in-law, your main skill is not giving your opinion. It's a change. It really is a change, and I'm used to giving my opinion, as you know. I'm used to giving my opinion, and now I have to learn how to not give my opinion. And you say, "Oh, that's not me." Well, make it you. Your stages in your life, very often, the skill that gets you here is not the skill that gets you here, and what gets you here isn't the skill that gets you here. That's how it works. You have a career, you're in a business. All of a sudden you're in sales. You're a great salesman. Now all of a sudden there's salesmen under you. You have to figure out how to manage salesmen. I'm not good at this. I just do it myself. Well, you know what? Then you're going to stay where you were. If you want to grow, you need to learn from the tortoise in the middle of Galapagos. You need to learn that just like that fish of that ocean can adapt, so can you. You can also. And this is the lesson Mordechai Sadiq taught us. Because Mordechai taught us, no one gave him the script for how to handle this challenge. No Beit dash in the middle of exile, all the Jews are going in one direction, and my wife, who's Esther is now the queen, and the king doesn't even know it. Who deals with that? Mordechai knew that his job is to figure it out. I want to end with this little story. But I need you, I hope that this thought is internalized in your mind. Figure it out sometimes means read more. It means learn more. It means look at role models more. It means fight yourself more. It means learn this skill more. My marriage now needs me to be on a diet. And I'm not good at that. I like fattening foods. I don't want to hear I'm not good at that. Because I shan't put it in every one of us. The ability to adapt. I'll give you one last little story and I'll conclude. And then after we're done, there's a man in the back who comes every year and he raises money for young moms and babies in Israel. A hundred new families each month that they're providing for. If it's formula, if it's baby carriages and mothers that are in need. So please, on the way out, in honor of Purim, please, you can give him whatever you can. Now let me tell you this last little story. So, I, I've told you many times on Friday night dinner, I asked my kids a question, like, What do you want to thank our champ for this week? or so on. Two weeks ago, not the week when the boys were there, the week before, we were still eating in the kitchen still because Donnie was being. So, I asked my kids, Here's my question of the week. I never asked them this one before. I thought they were going to hate me for this question. Tell me one lesson that you learned this week. I love the question. Tell me one lesson that you yourself—not that you were taught—a lesson that you figured out this week. So my ten-year-old daughter stands on her chair, and it is Ruthie, and she says, "Daddy, I have two." I said, "Okay, let's go." She says, "Number one is I had a grammar test. I'm terrible at grammar." She's just like her father. Her father is also <laughs> terrible at grammar. She says, "And but you told me the night before that I should study as hard as I can and do my best." So I did, and I did pretty well on the test. She said, so the lesson that I learned is this. Is that even when I think I can't, I can. How gorgeous is that lesson from a 10-year-old? Isn't that fantastic? And I said, Dad, I have another one. I said, what's this one? She says, I was in the car this week, carpool with Auntie Maisie, and I was sick. And she never likes to say, I never say when I'm sick. And sure, she never admits that she's sick. Because I don't like to go to the doctor. And Auntie Maisie told me that she once had a family member who had strep. And the strep like went into the blood. And the family member is dealing with it 20 years later. So I came home. And I told mommy that I'm sick. And she (laughs) took me to the doctor. And the doctor gave me medicine for strep. I had strep. Gave me medicine for strep. And so lesson number two she says. Is that when something is hurting you. Speak up. I was like yes. (laughs) How gorgeous is that. Of the top 10 lessons I want my daughter to learn. These two would be in the list. But this is the lesson of this class too. You have something you're not good at, speak up. Talk to people. Learn from people. Read about it. Understand about it. Watch people do it. And then, even when you think you can't, you can. That's an excuse that your brain created to excuse yourself out of the next stage in life. I can't do this. It's not for me. It makes life easier. And it also makes life less productive. If you want to be whatever you need to be, you need to realize that there are many skills that you don't have that you could have. And I had to go, I I don't know, a seven hour flight to go live in the middle of nowhere on these random islands looking at tortoises and crabs and sea lions and iguanas and they all taught me one lesson. They all taught me That I think I am who I am, it's not true. Hashem instilled in me the ability to say that even though I think I can't, I can. Because I was given the most powerful characteristic of all I was given the ability to adapt. Thank you.